One of the pictures in the Bible that roots me, that motivates me, that fuels me is found in Revelation 5. And I want to use Revelation 5 this morning as the scene which will kind of help us understand all that's going to go on in the rest of the service and all that has gone on in our service so far. So take your Bible, would you? Revelation chapter 5. And let's just take a peek for a few minutes into this captivating scene described by John. It begins with God on the throne. He's holding a scroll. It's sealed with seven seals. And we're not told definitively what the scroll is. My sense is the scroll is the unfolding plan of God as only fulfilled by Jesus Christ. I think that would be a theological, textual answer to give you that leaves us room for maybe some variance because we're not told explicitly, but still is true to our text. It's the unfolding plan of God as can only be revealed and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what's in this scroll. And what John is finding is that as God is holding the scroll, there's no one able to open the scroll and break the seals. And it's a desperate moment for John because you find that John begins to weep. He can't find anybody open the scroll. So what are we going to do? It's kind of the sense of the text. Pick it up with me in verse 5. Revelation 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Good news, isn't it? But why was John not to weep anymore? Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. I love that past tense, don't you? Here's a future scene with a past tense verb. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So now there is someone who is worthy. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So John need not weep anymore. And now John begins to describe the entrance, the, the coming of this lion to take the scroll. It begins in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a, say it with me, lamb. That's, that's funny because he just said that the one who could open the scroll was a lion. Have we got a change here? Did, did, did someone change the script? What's happening? I, I thought we were looking for a lion who had conquered. But now we're getting insight into what makes the lion a conqueror. And it's his suffering as a lamb. Look what he says here. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went... This lamb, who was also the lion, who had been slain but yet had conquered, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. That's God. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying... In fact, would you read 9 and 10 with me, regardless of your translation? Let's just try to read this in unison. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, 
For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Amen, church. That's possible. That's happening. That will happen because he was slain as a lamb, and that's what qualifies him to be the lion who was conquered. But if one chorus of these living creatures and elders is not enough, the rest of the chapter really is just a a continuation of this same refrain by larger and larger groups. Look what happens next. Verse 11, Then I looked and I heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. So remember, at first it was just the living creatures, the elders, this select group in heaven. Now it's the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, probably their metaphorical language for an innumerable amount of angels. And they're saying with a loud voice, how about reading the last part of 12 with me, ready? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But if that's not enough, let's add another chorus to the group. And this time in verse 13, John says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, once again, church, read with me, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And to this increasingly growing number of worshipers, here's what the first group says, verse 14. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. One of the most staggeringly beautiful chapters in the whole Bible. Because it talks about what was done in the past as well as what will happen in the future. And often... We go to this and we love the three refrains that extol Christ's worthiness. We love the fact that it promises people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. So God's vastness and his gathering is seen. There's a lot of those things we love. But I want to ask you just briefly why he's worthy. Have you ever thought about that question as you've read this chapter? Why is he worthy? What's the central reason that three groups say aloud with increasing volume and number, you're worthy? It's because, the text says, it's because he was slain. In fact, I would contend with you, the word slain forms the thread of meaning in this chapter. It's mentioned in verse 6. You ought to circle it there. Draw a line to verse 9 where it's mentioned there and circle it there. In fact, in verse 9, he gives some even further definition that because he was slain and by his blood he purchased people for God. Sounds like Acts 20 there. Draw a line from that down to verse 12 where it says the lamb was slain. If you follow the word slain, you begin to see that John is saying there's, there's a reason that only Jesus could approach the throne of God and take the scroll and break the seals and open. There's a reason only he is worthy. It's because he was slain. 
In fact, I would say the, the three mentions of the word slain, as well as the four mentions of the pronoun, the proper noun, excuse me, lamb. See it in verse 6, draw a square around that. You see it in verse um, 8, draw a square around that. You see it again in verse 12, draw a square around that. You see it in verse 13, draw a square around that. So four times you see lamb, three times you see slain. John is making a clear case that this is really how the lion has conquered. Because you only see that once. When John realizes, I don't need to weep anymore, the lion of the, the tribe of Judah is, has conquered. How did he conquer? Because as a lamb, he was slain. And you begin to think through the Old Testament imagery of the lamb who was brought on the Day of Atonement. The blood that was shed but only good for a year. And then when John saw Jesus, in, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Then the writer of Hebrews says that this offering of Jesus, uh, of himself, does not need to be repeated. It's good eternally. It's the eternal blood of the covenant. Suddenly you, you begin to realize, wow, he is the lamb who once and for all sacrificed himself for the sins of the world. No wonder he's now the lamb who has conquered. He died, he was buried, he was raised. He is the lion, but he qualifies as the conquering lion because he was willing to be the suffering lamb. So this chapter helps us see something that I think is crucial to our understanding of of Christ's worthiness. Because all of us would say, yes, he's worthy. In fact, we would say he's the only one worthy. But I want you to dig a little deeper this morning and I want you to see why he's the only one worthy. The, 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 the epicenter of Christ's worthiness is the cross. And there's a lot that we could extol about Christ from eternity past to eternity future. Wouldn't you agree with that? Amen. An, an endless picture of beauty he is. But this chapter, in great clarity, says to us, the reason he alone, the core reason, the central theme, he alone is worthy, is because he was the lamb who was slain. And so I submit to you that the epicenter, the central theme, theme of Christ's worthiness is his cross. Now think about it. If his death distinguishes him as the one and only conqueror, then nothing should escape the shadow of Calvary. Everything in your life should be under its influence. Every decision, every relationship, every action, Everything should fall under the influence of Calvary. If it's the central theme of his worthiness, it should be the central filter for our life. How we worship, why we worship, communion, why we're forgiven Watch this, and why we forgive. 
how we serve, how we sacrifice, how we give, how we raise our children, what we select as a career, our past, our present, and our future. There is nothing outside the final word of the cross. Because it's the central theme, it's the epicenter of Christ's worthiness. It's the reason he could take the scroll and break the seals. So the power of the cross should loom large in your life. Everything should come under its power and authority and influence. In fact, the cross becomes the final word for every bit of our life because Christ was the final fulfillment for every bit of God's plan. And if all of God's plan was apexed at the cross, when he gave his life as a lamb and was slain, then that very central piece of history, that apex moment of Christ's life should be the, the ultimate filter for everything in our life. It should have the final word. I think this is why Paul would say some things about the cross that I think are very revealing about how he saw it as the, the ultimate filter for all of his decisions, the final word in his life. Look at these verses here. 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul said this, we preach Christ, say it with me, crucified. And he's here, you know, kind of showing the counter-cultural nature of his message. That while others were preaching things about how great they were as Greek philosophers, cultural geniuses, he doesn't come with a message about how great they are. He comes with a message that Christ was crucified. Even personally, he said in Galatians 6, 14, he said, God forbid that I should boast, say these words in yellow with me, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, a symbol of suffering, of death, of where someone is slain. Yet Paul is saying, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in one thing. That's the, the, the slain lamb on the cross. So do you see what's happening here? The epicenter of Christ's own worthiness is the cross, and the filter for all of Paul's preaching and life was the cross, which is why I say to you, the cross has the final word in our life. Every relationship, decision, expenditure, action, reaction, all of that should come under the influence and shadow of Calvary. And we should ask ourselves, in light of what Jesus has done, and now that he's worthy, what is my response? I think the response was written by the old hymn writer when he said, in writing the words to, when I survey the wondrous cross, here's the very last line of the fourth stanza. He said, this demands my life, my soul, my all. Amen, church. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.